Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Another round of the Penn State Blitz podcast. I'm Bob Flounders, and sitting next to me is a freshly goateed <laughs> Greg Pickle. It looks fantastic, Greg. We're going to talk about Ricky Ronnie's departure. We're going to talk about some of the candidates who might replace Penn State's offensive coordinator. Of course, we're going to talk about Penn State in the Big D, Dallas, for the mm-hmm. Cotton Bowl against Memphis. And we're going to close with the Penn State mailbag. Greg Pickle. I got a question for you. I got a, I got many questions for you for this Let's podcast. Get into it. It's interesting that now December and January are becoming way more hectic yeah. for everyone than actually the regular season when it comes to Penn State football. But I think that's just the way it's going to be moving forward. Yep. How surprised should the fan base be? How surprised are you that Penn State is in the market for yet another offensive coordinator with Ricky Ronnie taking the old Dominion job? Yeah, so... It really stuns me that Brent Pry is not a head coach and Ricky Ronnie is. I mean, if you would have offered betting odds mm-hmm. on that, I don't know what they would have been, but they would have been astronomical because mm-hmm. James Franklin steadfastly has said that it was attractive that Ricky Ronnie did not want to ever be a head coach back in 2017. Right. Ricky Ronnie has said on numerous occasions that he does not really have interest to be a head coach. And I know guys say that, Bob, until, yeah. you know, until the opportunity presents itself, then they change their mind. But his introductory news conference at Old Dominion was pretty stunning in the sense that they mm-hmm. said that, you know, one of the biggest uh, attractions about him is the fact that he relentlessly pursued this job, <laughs> which it's only been open for a couple of weeks. And yeah. they, I believe it was the athletic director said that they called him Monday at 1130. He was on the way to New York to recruit. I'm mm-hmm. assuming maybe that was to see Ibrahim Traor, the offensive line commit up there. And he basically turned the car around, took the job on the spot, turned the car around and, uh, you know, but 4.45 Tuesday morning, he was headed down to Norfolk to sign the paperwork. So I don't know about you, but I am pretty surprised. Yeah. So before we talk about maybe some candidates that James Franklin will align to replace him, by the way, James Franklin, we probably should mention, got an extension. <laughs> right. But I mean, not to bury the lead, but he got an extension through 2025, yep. including some, we're presume some money for uh, assistant coaching yeah. salary upgrades. Probably some more money for some facilities upgrades. Let's not lose track of that here on the, the Penn State Blitz podcast. But the Ronnie news almost seems like it's, I don't know if it's it, it's more significant. Because I don't know that a lot of people expected James to leave. I, I think a lot of people expected him to get the extension right. after what he said following the Rutgers game. But Rick, what Ricky said during his introductory, introductory press conference at Old Dominion, it might very well be true, even though he had said he didn't want to be a head coach. Is is there a world, or do you believe there's a chance that after two years, maybe Ricky Ronnie just wasn't comfortable being the Penn State offensive coordinator? I, I you can't rule it out. I mean, certainly not. And you know, again, it just it just it's surprising, and you have to assume that there's unless he greatly changed his mind yeah. within the last eight months and wanted to be a head coach yep. all of a sudden. You know, there probably has to be some underlying factors here, whether it comes from the school side, his side, maybe a little bit of both. I don't know. 
Um, we'll never have those answers. Sure. But, you know, to think that, you know, again, a guy that has been steadfast and not wanting to lead his own program suddenly is, again, unless he did a sudden about face, I just wonder if he saw the opportunity yeah. as not just one to, you know, maybe step into that role, maybe he did change his mind, but also to, you know, springboard down the road, you know, maybe his stock had fallen a little bit at Penn State as the offensive coordinator. I don't know. Bruce Feldman said Wednesday morning that, you know, one NFL coach said there's no better run pass option coordinator in the country, which I find interesting. So we'll, again, probably never know all of the factors that led to this, but certainly it was a tad bit surprising to see him not only take this job, but even be mentioned for it at all. And again, especially when you consider that Brent Pry has been linked to jobs, I think, since 2016. Uh, He remains at Penn State. I can only imagine that a part of James Franklin's extension may have been a nice pay bump for old Brent Pry. And as we get into the candidates, Bob, I think there's going to be a significant upgrade in coordinator pay for on the offensive side of the ball, too. Yeah, and let's and Ricky Ronnie's entitled to change his mind. It could very well Absolutely. be that he, that he wanted to do that, and maybe he will become a tremendous head coach. He was with James Franklin at Vanderbilt. I think he was was he a GA on his on his staff at Kansas State. Yeah. So there, the relationship there is a long one, but this will be. James brought John Donovan with him from Vanderbilt to Penn State mm-hmm. to be the OC. That worked well. After the 2015 regular season whooping at Michigan State, he, he parted ways with John Donovan. Next thing you know, Joe Moorhead is the OC after being the head coach at Fordham. Mm-hmm. He brings the RPO offense to Penn State, and I'm sure Ricky Ronnie kind of learned a lot from Joe mm-hmm. during Joe's two years. And then he took over – really, he took over in the Fiesta Bowl – and then to at the start of the 2018 season, let's move it a little bit forward, Greg. A lot of people wondering maybe what James is going to do next. He's always got a list of coaching candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anything surprises James anymore. The question is how how do you see this search playing out? Is there any chance he'll promote from within? Is he looking for a big name? And who are the probably the two or three candidates you think are going to get? Uh, some hot pers- hot pursuit from one of the great recruiters in college football. Yeah, well, for starters, the, to your point of Franklin not being surprised by anything, I still can't ever recall, and we'll get to this in the second segment of the Blitz, but a team landing a four-star player hours before his yes. future coordinator leaves. I'm sure it's happened before, but the fact that Theo Johnson committed to Penn State, I mean, obviously all those ducks were in a row because Old Dominion called yep. Ricky Ronnie at 1130. Theo Johnson committed at 145, so... They knew what was going on there, but I'm sure they just didn't find out in that mm-hmm. two-hour window. You know, there was some upfront conversation there. But as the relates to the coordinator hunt, I mean, if you look at the USA Today assistant coach salary database, it was conveniently released this week. Um, <laughs> I say that conveniently because it gives us a nice uh, jumping-off point for what Penn State's going to have to pay. Mm-hmm. I mean, one name, it's an easy uh, straight line that draws Kirk Soraka, Minnesota, Redland guy, local. Um does it make sense for him to leave PJ Fleck, who he's been very loyal to? I don't think so, but you know he's making seven hundred and mid seven hundred thousand dollars there. Uh, if he's going to also gonna, an RPO guy, right? So as, but, as Penn and James defense learned, yeah, but very well. And James Franklin sort of raved about him after the Minnesota game. Right. So uh, you know if he's going to leave there, I'm assuming he's going to want to pay bump. Mike Yurcich is a guy that always comes up when Penn State's coordinator searching. He's making nine hundred twenty five thousand at Ohio State. Josh Gaddis is making $1.1 million <laughs> at Michigan. $1.1 million they're paying him at Michigan. So you put it all together, and, you know, Brent Pry's most recent salary that was released by the school was like 683000 We know Ricky Ronnie was not making 
over 580,000 in 2017, 2018. We don't have the most recent numbers, but um, they're going to have to pony up for this one. There's no doubt about it. And I don't think Sandy Barber, James Franklin, Penn State's board, I don't think they're surprised by it. But, you know, the only way you don't, maybe you bring in a guy like Andrew Briner. Hers- uh, he's a Hershey guy. I uh, went to Fordham with Joe Moorhead, now at Mississippi State with Joe Moorhead. Maybe he is a guy that if you're looking to spend in the five dollars $600,000 range, you go with him. But, you know, I think if we've learned anything, Bob, about the way James Franklin hires coaches is that it's not always going to be, and almost usually isn't, the most obvious potential candidates. And you got through your list. The fan base is scratching their heads right now. You did not mention a certain LSU assistant coach. Yeah, I mean, obviously Joe Brady's a name that everybody right. wants to talk sure. about. And the problem with him, well, number one, it's it's twofold. One, LSU's going to back up a dump truck for him, <laughs> and I don't think Penn State can play in yeah. their in their you know their same ballpark. And in terms of sandbox. spending, yeah, sandbox that works too. In terms of spending, and secondly, I don't know if he'd want to come back to Penn State. I mean, he's going to have options all over right. the country in the NFL, so. You know, it's a nice pipe dream and maybe it'll, you know, they'll hit the Powerball and it'll work out, but I don't think that's going to be the case. And you, I noticed you also were, were not really talking about any assistance on the offensive side of the Penn State uh, staff right I now. They did that once already. That just feels like they can't do that again, right? <laughs> yeah. Not that Rick, I mean, I think right. Ricky Ronnie probably received, and yeah, I don't know where you fall on this. He probably was criticized more than right. he should have been, but I just don't know if Penn State can afford or if James Franklin can afford to do that again, even if Tyler Bowen or Matt Lime, Matt Lime Grover's obviously called plays at the Big Ten level at Minnesota. Right, right. Uh, Tyler Bowen called him at Fordham. So they have some guys with experience, but do you really want to go that route again? Or do you want to pay somebody to come in almost like Moorhead did and be an instant fix overnight? Yeah. And whoever is hired is going to be a guy that's, you know, James wants an offense that the quarterback's a running component. It's going to be an RPO guy. And that's really the way. College football is going, so it's not really. There's going to be a long list of guys, I think, that right. that have that that are familiar with that type of offense. The uh, let's move this along, but before we do, we're almost halfway through the programming Penn State notes. podcast, so I think you got something to say to our uh, viewers, right. listeners, what what have you? All of the above. The Penn State Blitz podcast is released Thursday wherever you get your audio. Thursday, also on Penn Live. But remember, Bob, if you subscribe. You get it a day early, so you'll mm-hmm. get it on Wednesday. Also, if you like and rate and leave comments, we'd appreciate it. And if you still want the video versions, those are always up to youtube.com slash State. Be sure to like and rate and subscribe there as well. Penn State, not in the Rose Bowl. No. Very, very contentious championship Saturday played out in Wisconsin. Gave Ohio State a run in the uh, Big Ten championship game for 30 minutes before kind of going a little bit quietly in the second half, but... When it came time to announce the bowl game matchups, Wisconsin kind of stayed put. Mm-hmm. They're going to Pasadena. Uh, Penn State fell to the Cotton Bowl against Memphis, a very good Power 5 team, one-loss yeah. team. Dallas, Texas is a fun place to be. That's a fun stadium. But when you think about the da- or the Penn State-Memphis matchup, we're ta- we don't know who's going to be pl- calling plays for Penn State's offense. But just what do you think the reaction is to by, by the Penn State fan base about a potential trip and a potential viewing of uh, the bowl game on the 28th. So flights to Dallas out of the Harrisburg area are about as expensive as those to LA. So I think that you're probably going to run into a lot of fans who don't want to spend LA flight like money to go to Dallas to see a group of five team. And 
don't get me wrong, Penn State fans will travel to this game. Yes. They have a large alumni base down mm-hmm. there. I mean, it will will be a stadium packed with uh, fans from both sides, but I would be willing to bet that Penn State will have the majority of the crowd on December 28th at the Cotton Bowl. But um, I think it's a game, too, much like Kentucky last year, that maybe I suspect it will end up being a better game to watch than what it looks like on paper. I think this Memphis team is very eager to try and make Ryan Silverfield, the interim head coach's case, to be the full-time guy down there. There's a lot of scuttlebutt. Mm-hmm. Um, from some national reporters and those in Memphis that think he's going to be the guy to replace Mike Norvell, who, of course, left for Florida State. So they think this will be a revved-up group for this game. I think Penn State should come to play, and assuming it does, as it usually does in the James Franklin era. Um, I think this mm-hmm. game, even though it maybe doesn't look as enticing as we think it does on paper, I think it'll be a good one to watch. A couple things to bring up. I think Penn State opened as an 8.5-point favorite. Bet like down that. to 7 pretty quickly. The bigger question is, I mean... You know, a lot of people suspected they'd be playing January 1st, but the Rose Bowl or, yeah. or around there. You move this game, you move their game up three days and you wonder about Sean Clifford being ready for the game. Yeah. Because they clearly were, tr- were pointing mm-hmm. to get him ready for the bowl game. It's a little bit earlier than maybe the target was. He's going to, if he wants to practice now, everything's kind of elevated. You, any thoughts on maybe his availability? Well, I, I think that it's very hard to try and match up James Franklin's comment which with any kind of schedule. Yeah. Again, we can go back to the Noah Kane being 90% right. and then didn't play for six weeks. <laughs> uh, so if you want to say Sean Clifford could have played against Rutgers, but they wanted to treat him a different way, what yeah. does that mean? And further, does that mean, you know, if he was actually able to play, you would assume that he's at most maybe a month away from being ready. So yeah, I, I think there's a good chance that he'll suit up for this game. But you're right, the extra couple of days probably would have helped. The more interesting thing to me about the date is the recruiting impact a good result could have because keep in mind the playoff games are that night. So if Penn, those highlights are going to be on the lead up to that game. They're going to be shown in halftime of those games. So it's a chance for Penn State, even though it's not in the playoff, to get its brand and its results, of, assuming they're good ones. Obviously, if they lose to Memphis, that won't be as good as good of a thing. But uh, it's a chance for them to put some thing, highlights on, obviously end the season on a high note with or without Sean Clifford, and maybe show some people watching that playoff game what they can expect from Penn State in 2020. What do you remember, Greg Pickle, about Penn State's last uh, appearance in the Cotton Bowl? Not a whole heck of a lot, Bob. I was, was hoping you could fill me in. It was a trick question because you were not <laughs> alive yet. 1975, well before your time. I believe they played Baylor, and I think they won that game. They also had a very famous result, I think, in the 1971 or 72 Cotton Bowl against a Darrell Royal Texas team that, Everyone thought it was probably going to beat Penn State, and Penn mm-hmm. State hammered them. I think the score uh, was thirty to six. I know you and I are looking forward to getting down to Dallas. Hopefully, it'll be a good result. But I think the health of the quarterback is is going to be yeah. pretty much paramount. I mean, a healthy Sean Clifford, I think, is going to be huge for this Penn State team against a Memphis team that's pretty good. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. So it'll be at least a chance if Will Levis does have to play, they should have more time to get him yeah. in tune with the passing attack. So. You would assume the bowl prep will give them that opportunity. But it is interesting. Um, and I have a question for you related to that coming up get in the mailbag. mailbag. That's right. Well, there's no better time than right now to get to the mailbag. So, so let's do it. all right, let's put you in James Franklin's shoes. Who would you pick to call plays in the Cotton Bowl? Oh, you're saying on the current staff? Yes. Oof, a tough one. I wouldn't be surprised if he called. I, I was. I was, was going to say. Gonna go that, I was going. I was I pondering. Think, that. I wouldn't yep. be surprised if he threw his own hat into the ring just for one game if he wasn't comfortable. 
I think uh, you had mentioned something earlier before we did this uh, video and podcast. <clears throat> Tyler Bowen's used to being in the box. You mm-hmm. said he's he's used to calling plays. You know, in an in a one game situation, he would probably be my top candidate. If it's not if it's not him, I think it's going to be Frank. Yeah, I mean, at this point, uh, you know, like we talked about, Matt Lime Grover has called plays before. The one guy that might be a little intriguing is Jaywan Sider because yeah. they they and I believe uh, Jared Part. Parker has some very limited play yeah. calling time, but Sider's a guy who obviously is a rising star, has been a well-respected recruiter and coach at the, at the college level um, at West Virginia, at Florida. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's ever called plays before. I don't know if you want to give him his debut in the Cotton Bowl, but you know, if you're going to go non-traditional and James Franklin would be non-traditional, right. then maybe Sider's an interesting name. I'm with you though. Bowen makes, from the fact that he's in the press box already, from the, uh, you know, from the fact that He's done it uh, with this offense at Fordham. It seems like, you know, that would fit nicely into Penn State's uh, preference for continuity and consistency. So my out-of-the-box out of suggestion that is highly illegal would be that Penn State and James Franklin reach out to John Harbaugh and the Baltimore Ravens and borrow Trace McSorley for there one you go. game. If he's not going to suit up, right? and I don't think he has... I, I, I wouldn't mind him as a play caller because I think he's pretty well-versed in the offense. I would just wonder if not, could Stevens <laughs> come back through the transfer portal to call plays? Because he knows the offense pretty well, too. Um, maybe there's some folks in Camp Hill that'll go for Schuster. <laughs> Schuster. So, Schuster. There's a lot of love for Schuster. There is a lot of love. Era. And with good reason. That's a little inside joke. Don't get upset at us fans and listeners. We are not poking fun at Michael Schuster. Just, no, no, uh, no, we're not. Noting that... Uh, there's a lot of fans around sure. here of the and, Schuster. Uh, James Franklin's one of them. That's right. Talk, we, we, Even though has, they didn't play him, Bob. I know. I know. That was that wasn't great. I have a kind of a question comment for you. We're going to delve more into it, but we, we probably should say that signing day is coming up. Right. Next week. Next mm-hmm. Wednesday. Yes. Penn State got a four-star tight end on Monday. We're going to get into detail on that in another segment, but could, is there anything – your, your cliff notes on this guy and what he means to the class yeah, real quick. I, I mean, just want to get it on this uh, – Format this, as well. Right. Yeah. He's a terrific player. I mean, there's a reason that Theo even though, correct. Yeah. Theo Johnson, right. Even though he, you know, plays in Canada and it has not, you know, come some obvious, you know, Jonathan Sutherland, Jesse Lucetta, they came and played in the States. Theo Johnson is not, but he is just torn up every camp he's been to. He is a guy that no matter what setting you watch him in, he's really impressive. And, you know, when you look at Penn State's recruiting class, even though Pat Fryermuth is back, um, we don't necessarily know, you know, Zach Kuntz has done some, some growing, obviously, but he has some growing to do. Yeah. Brenton Strange is a guy who looks the part, but I think he has to add some weight too. Yeah. So you throw three, Theo Johnson in that mix and, you know, Fryermuth is back for 2020. That's a plus. But if they're going to keep doing two tight end stuff, if they're going to keep giving Fryermuth a break, they'll need somebody else to step up with Nick Bowers graduating and even more. I mean, there's almost no chance Pat Fryermuth is back for 2021. So to keep that well stocked is important. Best Canadian import. It could be a band. It could be a player. Uh, what's your favorite thing about Canada? I have my favorite thing about Canada. What's your favorite thing about Canada? It's, it could be Theo Johnson, but is it Rush? Is it the Bare Naked Ladies? Is it Nickelback? What is it? Great it is definitely up? not Nickelback. How about Labatt? How's that sound? I was going to say Molson. Molson. I wonder why we both went that way. Oh, who knows? It's uh, it's only it's anyone's guess, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. All right, one more question. Let's uh, let's get out on that. When you look at this bowl matchup, Bob. And you look at Memphis, are you more concerned about how Penn State's defense ended right. the season? And some, you know, cause Memphis is a little bit multifaceted. They can do a lot. So do you think this defense is ready for that test 
or could this be a high scoring game? Assuming Sean Clifford's healthy, or maybe even if he's not, right? Um, because of what Memphis offense has shown. Yeah, I think it's especially with we're talking about injuries. Etor Gross Matos, who says he's going to play right. in the whole game, mm-hmm. looked significantly injured um, coming out of the Ohio State game. Didn't play against Rutgers. Arm in a sling. I think there was a cast on his left arm, one of his arms. I think it was the left arm. He's he's clearly his his focus has to be on on the 2020 NFL draft. And with good reason. Best defensive uh, lineman on the team. You know, their defensive line isn't going to be quite the same if he doesn't play, clearly, and he's, if he, especially if he's not 100%, 100%. I think it's a game of, at, at first glance where <clears throat> Penn State is going to lean on its offensive line. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good line. They've been able to run the ball. I, think that, I, think, I don't think the Memphis defensive front is going to be able to match up very well with Penn State's offensive line. Even if Clifford plays, I can't believe he's going to be a hundred percent. So, I think the I think the Penn State game plan is going to be around, you know, getting getting the ball to the running backs, and then Fryer Muthing Hamler because he knows Hamler it could be Hamler's uh, final game at Penn State as well. But I, I think Penn State's offensive line's on the spot in this game. All right, more Theo Johnson talk coming up. The Penn State Blitz podcast is moving on. I'm Bob Flounders. Greg Pickle in the studio. His goatee's actually grown a couple of inches uh, since we began talking. So well done, Greg. I can't wait to see it by the time it was just the, an oversight. The end of the month. I don't think. That, well, now you're now I'm forcing you to commit to it. Yeah. But let's talk here on on the podcast about signing day a little bit and about Theo Johnson, the tight end from Canada, who Penn State recently got just right around the time. Ricky Ronnie was leaving. They were getting the tight end. What can you tell about him? And what does it mean for a local, a mid-state player by the name of Zach Koontz, who's a tight end in Penn State's system? Yeah, so while we go over that, you have time to think of your pick and prediction this week. And if you can't figure out what we're picking and predicting, predicting, I'll let you know in a second. But Theo Johnson is a guy Penn State's recruited for a really long time. Uh, I think Ricky Ronnie should get credit for Penn State landing him, Ooh. even as he's the outgoing offensive coordinator, obviously. I think he did a lot of... Legwork in his recruitment. James Franklin obviously had to come in, I'm sure, and secure this one late. Iowa, Michigan, Georgia all pushing for him. Yeah. And they're able to keep him even though the offensive coordinator's on the way out the door. So Tyler Bowen played a role in this. Yeah. This was a staff recruitment, and they got the job done at the end of the day. So good win for right. Penn State, and it gives mm-hmm. them now Pat Fryermuth, Zach Kuntz, Brenton Strange, and Theo Johnson in that tight end room. If they're going to keep using two tight ends, and I don't think it really mm-hmm. maybe runs over Zach Kuntz's chance to get on the field next year. And I think Theo Johnson might need a little bit of a time yeah. to adjust, but he's a superb athlete and elite, an elite tight end in this class, number three in the country, according to 247 Sports. So it's a great get. And, you know, they talk about competition a lot, and they're going to have one heck of a competition for that backup job behind Fryermuth in 2020, and then for the starting job, assuming he leaves for the NFL draft in 2021. So... Good job uh, by Penn State to add the 28th member of that class as we talk about it on Wednesday, the week before signing day. Can Penn State make any more additions, Bob? I'm not sure. I I mean, I guess they have room for two more technically, but I don't know if they're going to make any additions before this signing day or the February one. So you're saying Penn State got a very nice parting gift from Ricky Ronnie as he goes out the door to Old Dominion. Yeah, I'm sure he won't get uh, you know a ton of credit, but you can't convince me that he wasn't involved in this one prior to him leaving so i think you had to give him a little bit of credit which can be tough for some penn state fans (laughs) 
All right, what's, what are we picking this week? Army, you... Navy. Oh, that's right. What's Army, the number? Army, Navy, nine and a half. It's Navy, to- isn't it? It's nine, Navy minus nine and a half. The total's in the mid-40s. Yeah. I've been sucked in annually to playing the underdog and the under in this game. And the under almost always hits, by the way. You know, it's it, but the over is in play more often than you think. They start, you know, it's all these pop passes that, that really mess you up right. some years. I am going to go with Navy. I think they run Army out of the building. Does the total get there? I don't know. It'll be close. It feels like a shutout kind of year, though. Uh, let's go 34 nothing. What say you? It's, I'm going with the under. This game is always about limited possessions because both teams always go for it. They always go for it on fourth and two. They almost never go three and out. Neither team's a great passing team. The weather usually has a little bit of a factor, and you'll see them go. They'll, you'll see them go 80 yards, get a first and goal in the 10. And then it's Just fourth and goal from the one, out. and they yep. don't get in. Right. So I, even though the total is low, this, I think if you look at the last 10, 15 meetings, um, the under almost never fails. I'm going under, Greg, and I'm doing it with Thanks for joining us on this week's edition of the Penn State Blitz. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe. Leave your feedback. And remember, if you subscribe, you'll get the podcast a day early. Otherwise, it's on Penn Live every Thursday. We'll see you next week.